Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now, thank you so much, called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com and definitely check out those shows as well. Susan Cain is the best-selling author of Bittersweet, How Sorrow and Longing Make Us Whole, which debuted in the number one spot on the New York Times bestseller list. She is the author of Quiet Journal, Quiet Power, The Secret Strength of Introverts, and Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking, which spent eight years on the New York Times bestseller list and has been translated into 40 languages. Susan's TED Talk has been viewed over 40 million times and was named by Bill Gates as one of his all-time favorite talks. LinkedIn named her the top sixth influencer in the world, just behind Richard Branson and Melinda Gates. Susan partners with Malcolm Gladwell, Adam Grant, and Dan Pink to curate the Next Big Idea book club. They donate all their proceeds to children's literacy programs. By the way, after my podcast with Susan, where I talk about how many times I get goosebumps a day, I've noticed that I get goosebumps at least four to five times a day. So anyway, do with that what you will. 
Welcome, Susan. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Bittersweet, How Sorrow and Longing Make Us Whole. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my gosh. Um, I actually... I was just talking about the podcast I did today. I was interviewing uh, Tunde, this Peloton instructor who wrote a book called Speak about it and had so much loss and loss. But anyway, I was on her podcast and I was like, you know, you need to read Bittersweet by Susan Cain. Because, yeah. And it's so funny too, because you talk so much about, or not so much, but one of the things in your quiz is about old souls. And I've always identified as an old soul. And I've been like, talking and saying like, we should do like old souls, Facebook groups and old hashtag old souls. I don't know if that exists, but anyway, I, Oh my gosh, that's actually such a good question. I wonder if that does exist. Right. I know. I'm realizing uh, that is a brilliant idea. Yeah. Old souls. I'll I'll start it with you if you want. Yeah, let's do it because it is a, a, a particular sensibility. And I feel also that old souls tend to recognize each other on some level very quickly. Absolutely. There's a kind of instant recognition. Right? Yes. So sorry to have jumped in with all that. Maybe I should back up. Susan, (laughs) could you tell listeners, please, what is your book about? Oh gosh. So my book is about, it's about the state of bitter sweetness, which is not something that we talk about that much in our culture. To the extent that we talk about it, we kind of relegate it to, you know, a a specific moment like, oh, I was feeling bittersweet, you know, like last Friday for five minutes. But it's, it's actually a much deeper and more profound state than that. And it's about the, it's a state in which we're very aware that joy and sorrow always go together, light and dark always go together, that everything is impermanent, you know, including everything and everyone who we love most, but that somehow mixed up in that awareness is was also an awareness of how incredibly beautiful everything is and that you kind of don't get one without the other, you know, that the awareness of the impermanence and the awareness of the beauty all go together. And you were talking about well, old souls recognize each other and like that. And and one of the things that I found is that some people really are more prone to this state of bittersweetness that I'm describing, but it seems as if there are different ways to get there. Like some people are sort of born that way, which is what you were alluding to. And then some people I think get there based on just having experienced enough of life, you know, mm-hmm. it's trials and it's triumphs. And, and so somehow you start to appreciate what, what to me life really is. Well, I, I do think that enough loss and trauma sort of fast tracks you there if you don't, if you're not aware of it, not for everyone, but I, I do think there is that. So I want to take issue with some of the stuff in your quiz because I did <laughs> okay. not get as high a score as I would have liked. Um, <laughs> and I like doing really well on quizzes and I assume that the best I could have done was 10, but I only got a 7.6, which I know that still makes me a true connoisseur of the place where light and dark meet and all. But some of these <laughs> questions in the quiz, do you prefer poetry to sports? But I, I, I like sports. I like doing sports more than I like writing poetry, but I don't feel like that makes me less. Oh yeah. But then I said, you didn't read the parenthetical. Or maybe you find the poetry in sports. Yes. Because you have to know, I wrote this coming from an incredibly sports obsessed household. Like my husband and my two boys, it's like all sports all the time, all day long. Yeah. And it was actually my husband who said to me, you know, like that, that moment where, where your team wins the game, especially if you didn't expect them to. And there's just this like, you know, collective joy in the crowd. He's like, that's exactly what you're talking about. It's just through a different manifestation. 
Okay. So maybe you should take the quiz and, and okay, so maybe I'll change that my question. answer on I that. Know. Now I got <laughs> yeah. clarification. That's why I wanted to talk about it. Are you moved to goosebumps several times a day? But I am not moved several times a day, but I would say regularly. I would say almost daily, several times a week. But so I got a low score on that too. <laughs> okay. Well, you know. Okay. Um, All right. Anyway, that's, that's still, it. that's still a lot of goosebumps. That's still a lot of goosebumps. And also I, I do want to say, I like, I know you're joking and everything, but it's, so the quiz is designed so that you get a higher or low score, but it's not like if you get a high score, it means you, you, you are especially prone to these bittersweet states of being. But my point is not that it's better to be a bittersweet type than to not be. It's no, more like this is one type of power and then there's many other types. No, also. I know. This is the one I happen to be talking about. I know you're joking, but I just want to, I just want to make it clear for no, you. No, I know you, you weren't suggesting that everybody tries to get a good score on this. This is just my own neuroses at work. <laughs> so. I totally get it. And I will tell you, I, I did an event one day with my friend, Angela Duckworth, you know, the mm-hmm. psychologist yeah, yeah. Yeah. who talks all about grit. And she's like, you know, I just did the quiz and I got a zero. So, so what? I think she literally answered zero to every single question really? on the quiz. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, so you know, human variety is just so endless, which wow. I love. I love that too. There was so much great information in the book, but what I particularly loved and found myself like, you know, with my flashlight sort of scanning through the pages, you know, like highlighting in my brain are, was all the stuff about you. Mm. Loved that. You, your family, like mm-hmm. your father's horrific and your mother's, but the Holocaust losses that they suffered mm-hmm. and how your mother had to sort of witness her father's devastation and your fractured relationship with your mom and, you know, all the, the things that came after, even watching your mom sort of lose her mind and then come back to you in this very bittersweet moment. I mean, that's like the yeah. classic example and just sort of how you personally have navigated through life. I found like, if you know, I just found it so fascinating and so powerful that you shared all your, your stories to really get the messages to all sink in. Mm-hmm. Cause there's been a lot, like you've had a lot go on as many people, but you know, you really have, it's like really, really powerful story. Oh, wow. I mean, thank you. It's funny because uh, my friend, my very dear old college friend, Judith, read the book and was like, next time you have to promise me that you're just writing a straight up memoir. Um, yes. She, she felt the same way that that you did. Um, not to say this wasn't great. It was still great. I just was like, I want more of that. Like, so maybe your next project or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know, but it's so hard for me to do it because, you know, I am you know, my last book was quiet. Uh, yeah. I am by nature a private person. So I don't really write all those things lightly. Yeah. And I think that whatever stress I had before this book came out, so much of it had to do with those personal revelations. Interesting. But I also felt like the only way to really like tell the truth that I was trying to express in this book was to also make it personal as well. You know, quiet, by the way, was required reading for my whole, my kid's school all the families at the school. You're kidding. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. That's, that's amazing to know. Wow. Thank that's you. You'd like that. <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> Although you're probably not surprised. There were a few things that I literally wrote. So you had this whole section on wounded healers and I just love that. Tell me more about that and how the people sometimes who get the most, you know, affected by things are the, are sometimes the most willing to help other people through it. 
Yeah. And, you know, we're actually seeing it now with the pandemic, which is kind of interesting. So like, I mean, I wrote in the book about how after 9-11, there was suddenly this huge rush of people signing up for Teach for America and applying for jobs as teachers and firefighters and like that. And, And now we're seeing the same thing now with the pandemic where more people are applying to medical school, nursing school, or just reevaluating their careers, looking for more meaning. And this does seem to be something that happens to us when we go through anything that's difficult, whether collectively the way 9-11 or the pandemic was, or personally, there's there's kind of a response to sort of dive deeper into meaning and to to take the pain and turn it into something else, you know, something generative and something productive. So I, I, I just became really fascinated by the different ways in which people have done that, you know, and like you could be like the person who started Mothers Against Drunk Driving had lost a child to a drunk driver and then, you know, turns that pain into this organization. Or like in the book, I tell the story about Maya Angelou who had -hmm. had this really horrific childhood in so many different ways. And it had been so horrific that she actually, when she was a girl, stopped speaking for five years to anyone but her brother. Like she literally didn't say a word until she was, I think about 13 and a, a woman in her neighborhood kind of took her under her wing and, and knew how much she loved to read. And she started handing her books and saying, you have to read them out loud. And, and little by little that kind of opened her up, but, you know, then she becomes this person who transforms from not having been able to speak a word to speaking volumes through (laughs) memoirs and poetry and plays and like, that idea to me is so transformative. Um, like if, if I were, there's so much that I put into this book, but if I were boiling it down to one message, I would say, you know, take whatever pain you can't get rid of and make that your creative offering or your healing offering or whatever it is. I love that. I went through a period of time, like as a kid where I couldn't even, I could not talk. I couldn't, I had like wow. major anxiety, social anxiety. And I just had this whole summer program where I spent like the last two weeks, I could not say a word. And all I did was like analyze conversation patterns and think uh-huh. like, how are they doing this? How are these words coming out so easily? And I spent all this time and, you know, my daughter is going to a dance tonight and I was just like, oh my gosh, these dances where I like, couldn't say a word, not a word. And now she's going into, she's the opposite. It's not going to be an issue, but all the words that you don't say though, like you still think them so intensely. Right. And that, I think there's something to that whooshing out, right? Like all the stuff, like your brain is still I don't know. Cause now I feel like I can't stop talking. Like, well, I was just going to say, I, I mean, it doesn't seem to me like an accident that you're now doing five, like you just told me you're doing five podcast interviews today, which I, I get isn't maybe your typical day, but like to go from what you yeah. just described to doing five podcast interviews day, that's not an accident, I think. Yeah. I just talk all, I mean, I have conversations all the time. I mean, I love to listen. I'm talking too much about myself right now, but um, no, it's, not at all. I think in service to your, <laughs> to your overall messages from your, your last book and, and even this, I don't know. No, but I, but I think it is, I, I think it is very much this book too. It's like, it, it seems to me that you're taking that past pain and yeah, it's a response and, and, and turning it on its head. It's a response to it. 
Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I'd be I'll so send curious. you my memoir. It's I write all about it. <laughs> okay. I really want to read all about that. <laughs> but you also talked about Renee Denfeld, who's amazing and who I loved her books and she was on this podcast too. And, and even just rereading about her suffering and then how she became what, like the district attorney, I'm not going to say it right, but like a prosecutor for whatever, for, you know, sexual abuse and crimes, like the ones she had suffered herself. And I knew she had taken in foster children and, you know, that she had two suicides in her family. I mean, and yet here she is, this best-selling author. It's amazing. Like how people respond to the same crises. Like she didn't, how she responded, yet her mother and brother to the same environment literally couldn't survive it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I do think that we have two different choices when we're faced with with any kind of pain, you know, and and one choice is to to not really grapple with it. And then what can happen is that you end up taking it out on yourself or on other people or to grapple with it and and try to turn it into something else. And even as I'm saying that, I, like <laughs> I don't mean that in any kind of judgmental way. Like what Renee Denfeld's family went through, what her mother went through, what her brother went through were so horrific. Like I think anybody might've made the choice to, to end their lives after that kind of pain. But then to know that there are these sort of miraculous outcomes like hers. And to me, like the fact that she has created this foster family that she's written about so movingly, like how, how difficult it was at the beginning with these children who she took in and how she just kind of kept loving them so steadfastly and kind of turned them by will into a family is I have goosebumps. I have goosebumps as we were saying. It's about true. No, I just I do, about I do it. too. This is I'm gonna track actually. Maybe I do have them twice a day. I don't know. Maybe I undersold <laughs> myself. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com There's another author, Stephanie Thornton Plymail, who literally like grew up homeless. Her mom was mentally ill and she was one of five siblings, I think five. And they literally had to eat seaweed off the beach for food. Wow. And yet she and some of her siblings did not make it. And she has totally made it. She's an author. She runs a interior design college thing. Like it's just amazing. But she talks a lot about 
the different effects on all of this trauma and how everybody goes in different ways. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. anyway, I'm getting off topic from your book a little, I mean, maybe not, but you know, it's all, uh, you know, this whole notion of getting over grief. I also love this whole, when you said, what are you longing for and how that should guide you as well? That's such a good, you know, it's such a simple, yet such a good question. And then you have this whole thing. You even quote Nora McInerney, who I also love. Yes. uh, uh, You know, how you can move forward. Maybe it's not today when you're going to move forward, but you're going to move forward at some point. And that's, that's okay. You know? <laughs> yeah. And you know what? Uh, we were just talking about the memoir part of the book. Should I tell one of the stories um, of what happened to me with longing? And what, yes, how, please, okay. please, please. Yes. Okay. Okay. So, well, <laughs> I went through this whole major transition when I was in my thirties, I had been a corporate lawyer. Well, no, really, I have to start the story by saying I had wanted to be a writer since I was four years old, but had just kind of gone in the direction of practicality and wanting to be able to support myself and all that. And so I became a corporate lawyer, um, which I kind of enjoyed in a lot of ways and also felt like I was in a foreign land the whole time. And when I was like in my seventh year as a seventh year associate, this senior partner came into my office and told me that I actually wasn't going to be making partner. And I had at the time, this sensation of the whole world collapsing around me because I had been working like a maniac, you know, like 16 hours a day, seven days a week for all these years in the service of this goal. And it was suddenly gone. And, but, but at the same time, there was this sense of like a door opening up. And so I literally left the firm that afternoon like I was gone two hours later. And then a few weeks after that ended a seven-year relationship I had been in that had always felt wrong and moved out of that apartment that we'd been living in. And so I was now like in my early thirties and sort of like floating around with no career and no love and no, no apartment. And I fell immediately into a relationship that became one of those obsessive relationships, the kind that you just cannot extricate yourself from no matter what you do. And, and the object of my obsession was this guy. He was very lit up kind of person. He was a musician. He was a lyricist. And I couldn't get out. And I would regale my poor friend Naomi with all the stories about him over and over and over. And then one day, Naomi said to me, if you're this obsessed, it's because he represents something that you're longing for. Mm. so she said, what are you longing for? And this really was one of those like cinematic epiphany moments. Cause I was like, oh my gosh, of course he represents the world of books and writing and art that I have always wanted to be part of my whole life. I was on this major detour. He's that's who he is to me. And as soon as I understood that, it was like the obsession was gone. It had melted away. I still thought he was great, but I was no longer, <laughs> like I was free. I was mentally free. And that's when I really started writing, you know, for real in a very deep way. And so... And your husband, your husband's note to you, by the way, was, uh, I got goosebumps from that when he was yeah. like writing. Oh my gosh. Like, oh, um, it, it was so cool. That's amazing. I want to like give that guy a hug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I have... I'm like looking behind me because I have that note, you know, like framed up in my office. It's right over there. Oh, I love Um, that. (laughs) Yeah, no, and he's still like that, you know. Well, we should tell people what we mean. That yes, sorry. That no, no, no. (laughs) Yeah. So a few years later, I met my husband to be and showed him some of 
at the time I was working on this memoir in sonnet form and I showed him some of my poems and he sent me an email later that night that basically said something like, I don't know if you have it. I got it. He said, holy, okay, I'm going to curse. He wrote, (laughs) he wrote you back. And later that night he said, holy shit, holy shit, keep writing, drop everything, write. And then in all caps, write woman, write. Oh, I got this one again. I'm up to three, right? See, you've had them several times a day already. Okay. Yeah. He's still like that. He's still like that. Like, you know, this book, like when it hit the bestseller list, he's like jumping up and down more than I am. Um, So cute. I love that. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Really amazing. But yeah, but like, so what I say to people is, you know, what are you longing for? And like, very often the thing you think you're longing for is a symbol of what you're really longing for. So like, if you're longing for the perfect real estate, as many of us do, um, (laughs) (laughs) it's, I mean, great real estate is great, but it's also often symbolic of deeper longings for home and what does home mean? And, And so to ask ourselves those questions, and I have a whole list of questions in the book that that people can ask themselves to as prompts. Maybe I should stop going to open houses so often. (laughs) I I don't know what that says about me, but I'm still longing for, I don't know. Oh my God. We all do it though. Right. It's so fun. Did you end up by the way, getting like moving to Greenwich village and you're, I know you were like longing for that at some point in the book. Yeah. I did actually, but not what I had been longing for in the book was like a, you know, a a red brick Greenwich village townhouse. I did end up moving to Greenwich village, but uh, um, in the West village, I lived there for some years, but not like in the big townhouse I had dreamed of. I just had like a little apartment and I was so thrilled. (laughs) That was all I needed. (laughs) What has it been like to sort of leave something so predictable and that had such a track, pursue what you love, and that now you see it sort of repaying you in spades, right? Like, what what is it like? What's it like now to have another best-selling book? Like, what does that feel like? Oh, gosh. I feel like the luckiest person in the world. I really, really do. You know, the best thing is I, I get these letters every day. I've been getting them ever since Quiet came, and now I'm getting really similar ones with Bittersweet of, like, people saying... I feel like I have permission to be myself. I feel understood. I feel seen. Realizing there's so many other people like me out in the world or like giving voice to what people express or, or giving expression to what people feel. Yeah, I I just feel incredibly, incredibly lucky to do that. Because to me, the whole reason I ever loved reading in the first place, I don't know if you feel this way with your room full of books, that like the moment where a writer expresses something that you've always, that you'd experienced yourself, but here they are expressing it for you. And hopefully they're doing it in a beautiful way too. To me, those are like some of the most sublime moments of my life when that happens. So the reason I became a writer was just to try to kind of enter into that kind of contract isn't the right word, but that relationship between the reader and the writer. So when I get those letters and I know it's happened, that to me is, that's like what what I'm in it for. It's amazing. So I do feel really lucky, but I will say, I mean, when I first started writing, when I left law, I never ever in a million years thought that I could truly make a career out of it. I thought I could make a hobby out of it. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, I promised myself that I would try to get something published by the age of 75. (laughs) If I do that, then I'm good. Then I've met the goal. Oh, well, it's it's nice. You gave yourself some time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, that took the pressure off, you know? That's true. Yeah. Um, I didn't want this thing that I love to be so pressure filled. I'm interviewing a woman today who wrote a memoir who's 80. And in the book, she was like, well, I'm running out of time. Like if I'm ever going to tell my story, it's going to be now. So here it is. Wow. Yeah. That's so great. I mean, during the years that I was first starting to write, I used to collect stories like that of people whose first book was when they were in their 60s or 70s or 80s. I I found that so comforting. Yes. (laughs) It is. It's nice that it's not like, you know, women in acting or something where your stock seems to plummet the older you get or there are fewer and fewer roles, right? Um, Yeah, absolutely. For women writers, it's sort of an endless terrain. I feel like the sweet spot is 40s, 50s, even 60s. Like, honestly, I feel like most writers I'm talking to are around in those 40s, 50s, even 60s. I don't know. Oh, that's so interesting. Do you you think that's because it's who you happen to be drawn to, or do you think that really is when most women writers are well, in their prime? I mean, those are when I think the books are the best. And I don't mean to say anything negative about younger writers. And, you know, and maybe it is that I'm not reading YA right now, right? You know, like younger people sometimes write for younger people. Right, right. I don't know. I feel like there's some sort of wisdom or something that kicks in a little bit older. Yeah. And people used to tell me this when I would try to write novels at 25. And they're like, what do you know? And I'm like, what do you mean? I've been through so much. I don't know. There's some perspective or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. That yeah, makes like it a seasoning, right? Something. It just makes it a little better. Not that it can't be good before, but I don't know, but maybe it is that I'm drawn to people who are writing about things that I relate to at this age. Who knows? I don't know. Well, I mean, you know, I had that experience. I wrote about it in Bittersweet of like, I, I had this really difficult relationship with my mother. Um, yeah. And when I was in college, I, I tried to write about it in fiction form in this creative writing class that I was taking. And the teacher told me, like she read it and she was like, you should put this in a drawer and not take it out again for 30 years um, because you're just too close to the material. So, so I did now write it like 30 years later. It's amazing. Never too late. (laughs) Never too late. Yeah. Yeah. Last question before we go. What are you working on another book now? Are you taking time just to promote this book or revel in this? What's your, what's your next or what's coming up? Yeah. Well, I mean, I am spending a lot of time like talking about bittersweet for now, but I am developing a podcast right now. So that'll probably start sometime in the fall, I would say. And I'm also developing courses around bittersweet and around quiet. And these are courses that are delivered to people's phones. Like you get a text every morning with either voice or like a written text from me. So it's a a really new way to, to kind of consume education. Yeah. So if people are interested in that, the information will be on my website, which is susankane.net. And then I do have an idea for my next book, but I feel like I need a break before I start writing the next one. So, so that'll be a while. Awesome. Well, Susan, it was so nice getting to know you through your book and then in in Zoom person. In sort of person. Uh, yeah, so you too. How far our paths continue to cross. I really enjoyed connecting with you. So I would really love that. And I want to read your memoir. Okay. I'll Did you say it. it's coming out this summer? July 1st. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Congratulations. That's Thank exciting. You. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Have a great day. Thank you so much. Same to you. Take Thanks. care. Bye-bye. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 